Hello, I'm Alma Schneider. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mother of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. And I am Iris Miller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and the proud mother of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising children with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms, No Fluff. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Moms, No Fluff, the podcast in which we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Thank you for our listeners who are joining us today for the first time and for everybody else who's been with us for a while now. Thank you for still tuning in and listening to our episodes. We appreciate you very much. I am Iris Miller and with me today is my partner for the podcast and our business and my colleague and my friend (laughs) Alma Schneider. Hi Alma. Hello, happy to be here as always. (laughs) Hi Alma. Alma, do you want to introduce our topic of the day? I would love to introduce our topic today. Today, we're going to be talking about invisible disabilities and how society responds to our children who have invisible disabilities. And this is a really great episode for allies in the community, people who want to learn more about people with disabilities because it's really how society reacts to our children. Um, with with the invisible disabilities. So we're hoping that whoever's listening will share this with their schools, their their colleagues, their friends, their family members to really get a sense of, of what it's like on the other end when there is an, in a, when there is an invisible disability in the mix. So I thought I'd start off if that's okay with you, Iris. Sure. Um, we deal a lot with issues that have to do with invisible disabilities and Unfortunately, it's not always good. And you know, people say it's a it can be a blessing and a curse to not have a disability that is is obvious. Um, the I the upside, I guess, would be that people are, you know, when they when they first meet someone with an invisible disability, they they treat them like everyone else. The downside is that they treat them like everybody else. <laughs> and <laughs> And they don't they they don't seem to understand or think about the fact that even though this person seems typical cognitively, um, emotionally, that they they might have some some challenges that or or just be different from the general population. So I'll give some examples uh, to start off um, when. My son went to the movies with um, my friend's son. They were, my, my son has a tendency to stare. And I think I've mentioned this uh, in the past in, in previous episodes, but he, he kind of processes information a little slower than other people. So he will look and stare at someone uh, where someone else has the, you know, the social cue to to know that you're not, you know, that that it can make other people uncomfortable if they look a little too long. Um, he doesn't seem to have that like everyone else. And so he will, if he rec- thinks that he recognizes someone or he's interested in someone, he'll look at them for a little bit, a little bit longer than a typical person would. 
And let me tell you that most people in society don't like that. They don't <laughs> enjoy being stared at. They get uncomfortable. They, they wonder why the person is doing that. They can get, um, some, somebody brought up a, a good line that, you know, when I told them this story that hurt people, hurt people. So we had an experience recently where I took my son to Chicago to visit my older son who's in college. And we were at a world market, which is a, an international store. And all of a sudden I turn to the left and I see that my son is having like a stare down with someone who works at the store. And I, I didn't know what was going on. They were both staring at each other from across, you know, from a few feet away from each other. And pretty soon I, I, I picked up that, okay, something is not, not okay here. And I said, is everything okay? What's going on? And at first I thought maybe my son was taking something, you know, there was candy or something and he was taking candy, but he wasn't. And they were just staring at each other. And, and the woman who worked at the store, she had an apron. So I knew she was working there. She, she looked, she looked at him a little bit longer, even when I said that, what's, you know, is everything okay? And she didn't say anything and she walked away. And I asked my son, I said, what, you know, what happened? What, why, why was she staring at you? And why were you staring at her? He said, I don't know. He said, I don't know. So I actually went over to the woman when my son was in another area. And I said, um, you know, it was everything okay over there. I said, was my son staring at you? And she said, yes. And she seemed kind of annoyed. And I said, I just want you to know he has autism, which is my easy go-to disability to, so people, you know, understand. And she goes, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm sorry. So it was very clear that she was very put off by the fact that my son was staring at her and he meant nothing by it. Um, so I'm going to talk, you know, a little bit more about this, this incident, but I want to start off with that because it's a very recent uh, situation that just, that it, it just happened a couple of months ago and it was very off-putting and, um, you know, I'll stop there. I'll let, I'll let you, uh, I'll pass the torch over to you. Oh my gosh. Amma, I think I spoke about it a little bit in another episode, but you know, the experience of the other person, mm -hmm. if feel what is maybe the question that pops into their head is what is wrong with that individual mm -hmm. why is he staring at me mm -hmm. answer the question to yourself there is probably something that is not quite typical about that individual do mm -hmm. not take it personally allow other people to behave in unexpected ways if you do that, they would also hopefully allow you to behave in unexpected ways when you have a bad day or when things don't go quite as planned in a day. I think that uh, our society doesn't give us a lot of wiggle room in no. terms of behavior, expectations, the rules of conduct in different uh, you know, venues and different uh, activities. I wish that we as people had a little bit more tolerance to things that are not quite as we expect. The lives of so many people with disabilities, whether they're physical, cognitive, emotional, uh, just would be so much easier. It would be easier to be a part of community, a part of society for individuals mm. that don't do it quite as we all expect, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I, uh, I, I think that uh, people with invisible disabilities always kind of carry the burden of proof with them wherever they go and whatever they do. And if, um, you know, they come into a point of friction with the person who's providing the service, who is responsible for an activity or, or just, just random neighbors, they burn, burn, they take the burden of proof of why didn't they do things as anticipated or as expected. And it's so, so hard to kind of justify yourself or your child nonstop in the face of society. This yeah. is so traumatizing as a parent to mm -hmm. have to always explain, always apologize, always be alert so you don't have to kind of do damage correcting later on. Mm -hmm. And yeah. in many ways, when I hear some of the stories of other parents who have children with disabilities that are invisible, I kind of, I think to myself, well, we are lucky because we wander around with like this huge kind of sign screaming, we are different because everything about how my daughter kind of travels the world or just interacts with even the physical environment is so very different that there is no doubt whatsoever that this is a person with a disability. And uh, I think um, just as a tiny, tiny example, I know that uh, uh, when a person has an invisible disability like uh, epilepsy and they have a service dog that is there to alert before they have uh, a seizure, mm -hmm. then people would be much more kind of interrogating them if they enter a place uh, with a service dog than they would when they see my daughter with a power wheelchair and a communication device and a service dog. It's almost self-explanatory why she has a service dog. Right. So I can just appreciate how the day-to-day of people it's like a person who kind of hops out of the car without a wheelchair and yet is parking in a wheelchair accessible parking spot and people are like why why does that person have the disability tag etc we know we all know how it is back to you alma yeah no it's true and you 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 used a term you know we're always on the alert it's i and it's true i'm always on high alert when i go out with him because i am constantly saying don't look, don't look at that person. Don't, you know, don't stare too long. And he's just interested. That's how he takes in information, you know? So getting back to that story about world market, we left world market and this really had an impact on my parenting and it really sh uh, shined a light on, uh, is it shined or shown? Shined a light? I think asking um, the wrong person uh, yeah. <laughs> with my English all the podcasts. <laughs> um, I was hyper aware in the moment of how I reacted to Lincoln during this incident because I got very upset with him. I said, Lincoln, you can't stare at people. You can't stare at them. Um, and I realized in that moment, but that's how my son takes in information. It's like telling somebody, don't breathe, don't breathe the way you're breathing or you know, don't, don't chew the way you're chewing. And it's something that comes so naturally to him. And it's a part of who he is. It's simply how he takes in information. He looks, he has to look a little bit longer than other people do. And I felt really badly about that, that I was telling him don't like, as though it was his fault that this woman was clearly, you know, getting, uh, 
annoyed at him, getting angry. And in that moment, when I saw that at World Market, I it was really fear-based why I was getting upset with Lincoln. I said, you can't stare at people that long. It, it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them, you know, feel like you're, you're, um, you're, you're looking at them for some negative reason. Um, and I, I then caught myself and I said, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that you're staring too long, but it's simply that people aren't accepting of that. And I know that it's some, just, just simply the way that you are, are, you're interested in them and that's why you're looking, but you need to know that people will get, uh, people may get upset when you look for too long. So it was a real interesting moment for me because I'm constantly telling my son, don't, if, if I see someone who's like, uh, uh, you know, in a wheelchair, or if I see someone who is um, is a, a little person, um, I don't, I'm forgetting the term for it, but I think it's little person, I know that he is going to stare at them longer because, and I think he also feels like an affinity towards them, like, oh, they have a disability also but it can put people off. It can make people feel uncomfortable. So I, even before we approach the person, I say, Lincoln, don't stare, don't stare. <laughs> bless you. And so, I sorry about that. <laughs> so it's important, I think, to, as you said, the world needs to change, not my son. You know, this is how he takes in information. He's not doing anything wrong. It's how society is looking at him, taking in that information that is the issue. So, you know, the theme here is, please be kind, please take, you know, take a pause. If you feel that someone is being insulting or, or trying to offend you by, by looking at you too long or saying certain things to you, take a tiny pause and think maybe this person, you know, is, is not typical. And I need to give, give that pause to find out a little bit more about what's going on here. Yeah, I think uh, like if that person, instead of kind of confronting Lincoln with a stare, you know, would just say, hi, I am Sarah or whatever. Uh, can I help you with something? That would have been so easy to transfer the, the conversation or the interaction to something mm -hmm. that is kind and something that is useful and helpful because as mm -hmm. she would probably converse with him, either she would understand that he wasn't kind of having any bad intentions by, mm -hmm. by staring and also uh, might be able to discover more about him. Now, mm -hmm. even that when we kind of uh, leave the house with the wheelchair and the service dog, the communication device and my daughter, we are the object of stares nonstop. Mm -hmm. when, when we were, once I, I said it in another episode, once with, um, with our cousin out and about and uh, she noticed that all the people are staring at her. She was, I think, uh, seven at the time. And she said, hey, people, why are you all looking at us? <laughs> and it was a little bit newer to her than it was for the rest of us. But yes, yeah. when you walk in a crowded place, everybody's looking at us. Yeah. The thing that I like to do if, uh, you know, we are standing somewhere and I see a person uh, staring at us for a long time, I would say, Hi, this is Karen. She's 12 years old or whatever, you know, yeah. and start introducing 
hair. And I know that sometimes the object of their focus is not the child, it's the wheelchair, the dog, the communication device, but I am trying to put the focus on the human factor. And that is my daughter. And I try to have them focus on the person. There is a person here. It's not just a pile of equipment. So I I found it to be really, really helpful. And Mm -hmm. people, um, sometimes the nice things that I, I get is reactions from children or from uh, adults with developmental disabilities that screen their thoughts a little bit less. And it is very interesting to see what is of interest. So children many times would then start asking, what is that car that she's driving? (laughs) You know, they don't know what the wheelchair is and they really want to understand why she has a car, which is very cool to be in the supermarket on a car that drives her. They want one too, right? And um, and sometimes, like I remember, there was an interaction with someone with, uh, I think, I don't think it was Down syndrome, but he basically said, oh, there's uh, someone in his high school that uh, that also looks like her. I mm-hmm. there was another student with cerebral palsy and he couldn't tell us uh, that the diagnosis, but right. the, the presentation was similar. And, and mm-hmm. he, found he looked at uh, Karen so, for so long because he was checking similarities. It was very interesting. So I think if we could all be a little bit more more patient and more kind and try to understand that uh, the odds that someone really is either staring at you or touching things in a store when they're not maybe allowed to touch, mm-hmm. it's almost like a how do you say, to take a deep breath and go towards the person and see the person first and mm-hmm. then analyze the behavior. Yeah. Because if you start interacting and if you err on being kind, I almost can guarantee that you'll be pleasantly surprised seeing the person behind the behavior, behind the unexpected maybe uh, vocalization, behind the unexpected pattern of movement. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it's I think that it's very hard for most people because we have to sum up a person very quickly. You know, we live again in a very fear based society and we're all afraid of why is that person looking at me as opposed to thinking, oh, you know, I wonder why that person's looking at me. Maybe there's something behind it. And we all jump to the to the fear. Um, But as a parent, I have a lot of fear about my son's invisible disability because of community and their responses to him. So I am often in the situation where I have to tell him to curb his behaviors and it doesn't feel good to to have to do that. Um, And I, you know, I really hope that allies are listening to this episode um, for their about their, you know, so that they can talk about some of these things with their children, which leads me to my next example, which is my son went to a movie with uh, my friend's teenage kids. They were watching a movie and before the, the movie started, my son kept turning around in his seat and staring at some high school kids that were a few rows behind them. And he was really staring. And the reason he was staring was because all he wants to do is make connections with people. It's the most important thing to him. Whenever we go out, he's trying to see, did, oh, those are people that I know from school. You know, when I went to the public school, I know this person from our synagogue. I know this, like he loves connection. So he was staring at this group of kids behind him. 
because he was trying to see like, do I know them? I think I know them from before, but he stared, you know, longer than a typical person would. And um, they started throwing popcorn at my son and the other teens that were in the room. And it was a beautiful thing because I found out later that he went up to the kids and out of earshot of my son. And he said, you know, what are you doing? And they said, you know, that kid keeps staring at me. You know, he's like trying to cause trouble. And he, you know, very discreetly said, you know, he's got, he's got a disability. You know, can you just cut him some slack? And that is a mature <laughs> teenager who, and a kind teenager who was, he was discreet about it. So it wouldn't embarrass my son. And he just put it to rest. But I think about my son in other situations where there isn't that kind person who's his advocate. And it would be, you know, I wish we lived in a perfect world where all kids would have that um, wherewithal and that knowledge from their parents, from school, that some people are different. And some people, it's not always about somebody trying to cause trouble. Sometimes, you know, again, one in six kids has a disability. And to talk to your kids and your family members and your friends about the fact that one in six kids has a disability and they're not all visible disabilities. So to take what you see with a grain of salt, what they say with a grain of salt, think about, you know, wow, you know, that sounds rude that that kid said that maybe he has, you know, something going on at home. Maybe he has or she has, you know, maybe they're not neurotypical and they say things that don't have a filter. Just take a pause before getting upset and feeling like this person is out to get you. It's very hard to do, especially in our society, but we need to do it because we're all here. Many of us are different and we need to keep the peace. <laughs> yeah, Alma, you know what? Uh, first of all, it's a beautiful story and kudos to the other team that was able to explain and kind of mitigate the situation. Mm -hmm. but it shows, it just goes to show how easy something so innocent, like a behavior of a just curious child, uh, teen, but in this case with a disability, can cause a chain of reaction of bullying yeah. for nothing, for absolutely nothing. And mm -hmm. it, it, it angers me so much because I think the main mistake in our society is how we segregate children with disabilities in the mm -hmm. education system. Because yeah. if all of the children with disabilities were a, a part of normal day-to-day -day life mm -hmm. in kindergarten, in the classroom, in middle school and in high school, and we would focus less on cognition and more about heart, and we mm -hmm. would teach our typical children how to not only coexist with people who cannot see, who cannot hear, whose cognition works in a different way, whose emotional reaction can sometimes be totally unexpected. Mm. We would all gain so much of it as a society. No wonder that people with disabilities these days, when they apply for jobs and come to an interview, they are most likely to be rejected because the people that interview them don't know how to be their colleagues. They don't yeah. know how to work in the same environment with someone who might be the best computer programmer, but is not able to watch a screen like they watch a screen. They don't mm -hmm. get it. 
and yeah. we need to improve so much on that. And as long as we really take those kids with disabilities into a segregated classroom, into a segregated school altogether, mm -hmm. and we don't inter, um, integrate them in the same after school activities and programs as well, we have a problem that we won't be able to solve in you know in future time as those those children age and it's a shame and they need to start as you said very early on very early on so people are exposed to people they just need that visibility um and and get familiar with people who are different from them because it 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 can it can really change how society views difference and it's not a negative thing it's simply different and I've spoken a lot about, you know, just the staring, but, you know, you can have an invisible disability and say provocative things like my son, um, who has gotten into quite a bit of trouble at school for saying provocative things simply to get attention, whereas a typical kid might be aware that, oh, that's not appropriate, that's going to get me in trouble. It's kind of like uh, living with blinders on for a lot of a lot of kids who don't have a filter because they are not neurotypical. And that can get that can cause a reaction, as you're saying, to to cause people to bully him. So if people were more aware and more uh, open to differences and exposed to them from a younger age, these things might not be happening later on when they get to middle school, which is when a lot of the proverbial crap hits the fan. And um, you know, honestly, a lot of kids end up going to out of district placements once they hit middle school because that's when the real bullying often starts. And, and that's like so annoying because that should be the age in which you expect more of children. Yeah. They mm -hmm. have their the prefrontal mm -hmm. cortex developing. They should be more tolerate and more helpful Accepting. to people who are differently abled. It's mind boggling. Mm -hmm. Sorry. It is. I had no, to it's very in. unfortunate. You're absolutely right. And, but that's when a lot of kids end up leaving, leaving the, leaving the, the integrated public school system. So there's a lot for people to do, but again, this episode, we're really hoping that the allies are going to tune into this and share, share the information and, and make everyone a little bit more um, accepting of people who behave differently than, than neurotypical children. Alma, you know, before we finish, uh, I, I just want to share one story and that's okay. it. The of the kind of last day that Karen, my daughter, still had an invisible disability. And uh, the day that we moved from Canada to uh, California, um, uh, you know, was a Friday. And Saturday morning was the morning we went to Able Closet, a charity that donates wheelchair and other durable medical equipment to kids who need it. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that we do an episode about them one day. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, getting the first wheelchair to a child is, uh, I can't even understate like how emotionally charged the experience mm -hmm. is. This is a permanent thing. It's that, that that's the point of no return. Mm -hmm. And before we got our first wheelchair, we kind of continued carrying Karen around in different types of strollers, depending on the situation. And Obviously, the night before we got the, the wheelchair, we were eating in a restaurant and you enter the restaurant and there is always like the hostess, usually it's a 20 something year old lady who has no clue about life, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> policy is you leave the strollers outside and we tell her we cannot get our daughter out of the stroller. She's quadriplegic. She cannot sit independently. We need mm-hmm. the stroller. And she's like, I'm sorry, this is our restaurant's policy. You cannot go in with the stroller. And we're like, so look at it as a wheelchair. She mm-hmm. cannot be seated independently. And one person is not enough because of the support needs to kind of balance her in seating mm-hmm. it. And uh, it was just such a, a struggle. And all the, the waiters and waitresses that kind of crossed our path and went by our table, everybody made sure to let us know what an annoyance we are to their wow. kind of existence in the space with our stroller protruding into the hallway, etc. The following day, we got the wheelchair. My daughter was so delighted. She was so happy <laughs> on her new stroller thingy. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, you could see right away that she was just as happy as could be. I was kind of like trying to you know, embrace her happiness. And we went to a restaurant right after getting the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. What a difference. I am telling you, I was kind of bracing myself to another kind of struggle. But the moment they saw the wheelchair, suddenly they understood what it is all about. And mm-hmm. then we were happily escorted to the wheelchair accessible <laughs> table. Everybody was extreme, extremely kind. And suddenly the odd looks that my daughter used to get because of the abnormal movements and all that, that was all replaced with like kindness and compassion. And I thought to myself, wow, what a difference just this device can make in attitudes and approaches from other people. It Mm -hmm. was just mind boggling. I'll never forget how in a flip of a button, Mm -hmm. people were suddenly more tolerating and more accepting and kind. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm sharing all of that because um, we have a lot to do. We have a lot of things that we need to improve on. And having a child with a disability and living life that is a very kind of different, let's say, in many ways, is hard enough for parents. Mm -hmm. Please try and be kind, be accepting, understand that when you uh, offer uh, programs or services, you should let people just come as they are and everybody Mm -hmm. would be happier. It's absolutely true. And I just want to add an, uh, an, an emphasis on the fact that for people of color, um, the invisible disability issue is way more dangerous. And you know, we know what happens. We hear it all the time in the media about how people with autism, um, who are people of color, African American, um, really experience the brunt of of fear and and dangerous situations when there is a disability, an invisible disability. People feel that they're not complying with the police or with someone else, and it can result in death. I mean, it can be, it can result in somebody being attacked, you know, uh, held down, restrained, and even shot, as we've seen. So it is, it can be really a, a tragic ending. So please, you know, these are really important things to be paying attention to. There are many invisible disabilities that can cause people to behave um, erratically and um, behave in ways that are not socially acceptable. And we have to have our eyes open and know that we do not all act the same. People have a different way of expressing themselves and to pause before taking some kind of an action. 
Oh, so depressing, but at least we're trying to share the information, right, Iris, to make the world a little bit better. <laughs> the, the ending note is very, very depressing because there, this is a really cruel reality and I'm it really is. happy that you brought it up because this is the one place in which we really need to trans, transform and change how uh, police is uh, treating people of color in general, but specifically mm -hmm. people with disabilities, because there, we all know there is not enough training, there isn't enough knowledge, there isn't enough yeah. tolerance, and it just, it really, people pay with blood for, yeah. for those mistakes that are done by, um, you know, untrained individuals. They are obviously scared as well, but yeah. there are some situations in which you need to stop and reassess. Yes. Um, uh, thank you again for sharing all of that information. Uh, do you have anything yeah. you wanted to add before we end for today? No, except that you look lovely today, <laughs> Iris. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'll pay you for the compliment later. <laughs> um, no need, but it's always a pleasure having these conversations with you. And uh, I guess we'll see everyone next time. Yeah, thank you, Alma. Thank you, everybody. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to rate us, please do it because this helps us reach other people that might benefit and learn from our episodes. Thank you very much and have a lovely day. For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.